Welcome, everybody, to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, Texans fan, Rockets fan, and Astros fan. So this is going to be a relatively difficult show to do with the Astros going on tonight against the Nationals in Game 3 in a must-win situation. And yes, it is a must-win situation for the Astros at this point. Uh, it couldn't be a little bit more difficult to focus on what's going on given the goings-on in the nation's capital because I, I am, I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan. The Astros have been since I got here in 1983. I love the Milwaukee Brewers, too, because I grew up in Wisconsin. But when it comes to being a Houstonian, I, I turned Houstonian a long, long time ago. So I am just – I'm sitting on pins and needles – until this one starts tonight. But to keep myself going and to keep you guys company, we got Texans All Access for you. So what do we got on the show? Well, we got our Deep Slant interview of the week presented by Xfinity with D.P. Sidhu. And this week, D.P. had a chance to sit down with Darren Fells, the big fella, the tight end who has done a great job since joining this organization back in, I believe it was April, late April, early May. He's done a whale of a job. So Darren Fells, our Deep Slant interview of the week. Then, We'll have my first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game. How are the Texans going to get a W this weekend? Win by one point, win by 100 points, doesn't matter. How do they finish with more points than the Oakland Raiders on Sunday? Talk about how they're going to do that. Then Mark's going to stop by, and we'll talk a little bit about Astros, Nationals, baseball. But we'll also talk about what the Texans have got to do. What are our concerns and worries about this one on Sunday against the Raiders? I will make all of my predictions straight up and against the spread in the following segment, and we will close with our players' segment. Of course, have got another edition of the world-renowned, world-famous B-Scar TV. Think Halloween for this one. And we've got the final word with Drew Doherty, and this week it is Dylan Cole. So we've got a lot for you on the show this evening. There's no doubt. And, of course, Astros Nationals going on. The Rockets have started their season, even though the Rockets took one on the chin last night against the Bucks. It's still going to be, I think, a fun team to watch. And I know there's still that thought of, eh, how's this whole Westbrook and Harden experiment going to go? It's going to be just fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. The Bucks are a pretty darn good team. Giannis Antetokounmpo is a dude. So, own one, but move on. But it's time for the weekend to kick in. Need a great Astros weekend, need a tremendous Texans weekend, and need the Rockets to get off the schneid, and hopefully that will happen. But we're going to get off the schneid on this show by getting to our hot reads, and they are brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. And every Friday, we kick off the show with our first hot read. I say that in air quotes because it's not really a hot read, but it's how we start the show on Friday. And that is with the head coach of your Houston Texans, Bill O'Brien, who stopped by to chat with Mark Vandermeer earlier today. Coach, I know you want to play clean, but how do you do that and stay loose and productive at the same time? How do you balance all that? It's hard. I mean, I think we've got to, when you look around the league right now, we've got to clean some things up. We, You know, I'm talking about the pre-snap things. I think if we can play a clean football game with the type of players we have, we're going to have a real chance to win games. And I think that... You know, when you don't get lined up right or you false start or you're neutral zone infract or you have an unnecessary roughness that you really didn't need to do, I think that, you know, those are things we just got to stay away from. I think our guys understand that, and that's what we got to try to do. 
So the Raiders run it real well, but yep. they also throw it at a real high clip completion percentage-wise. How do you handle all that? John's got a good offense. Uh, Coach Gruden does a great job. I mean, you know, J- Jacobs is a very good back. We're going to have to do a great job of setting the edge and, and playing gap control and, and tackling him. He's a very difficult guy to tackle. Um, can't let him get going because he's hard to tackle once he gets into the second level, third level. And, you know, since John's been in this league, you know, the West Coast offense is a completion percentage offense. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's what they do, you know, unders and option routes and, you know, good good uh, completion plays for the uh, – for the quarterback, so we got to do a good job of disguising and, and disrupting, and try to try to uh, you know make that first read not open. You know what I mean? And then if we do those things and get them in long yardage, we'll have a chance. You have your new corner this week, yeah. and I know you had some guys nicked up. How tough has it been to practice just to prepare for a game with some of the guys you have banged? Yeah, up? we jogged through on Wednesday. It was good though. We got mm-hmm. you know eighty reps on each side of the ball. We got a bunch of reps on special teams. So I thought the jog through was good. We broke a sweat. It wasn't like we were out there. It wasn't club med, but I mean right. it was. You know, it was a good jog through. We got a lot done. And then Thursday, you know, we had a good practice on Thursday. Guys were energetic. And I think that's the time of the season where you start doing those things, you know, to manage your roster, to make sure you get guys to the gate mm-hmm. uh, on Sunday. So I think we did a good job of that this week. What makes Oakland good against the run? I mean, they're stout. You know, you got Hankins inside, good linebackers, physical team, big guys. Um, you know, they're, they're hard to move. You know, you're going to have to double team them. You're going to have to do a good job of trying to move the first level so that the – the, the first level is not disruptive in your backfield. You got to do what we call covering them up. If you cover them up, there's some gaps I think we can get to, but uh, we can't allow that penetration. That's going to be the big deal. What about the third phase in this game? I think special teams is going to be interesting, Vandy. We have a very good special teams units. You know, we've we've done a good job. I think in our kicking game, I think that they're very physical. They're very well coached. Um, they have a really good special teams coordinator and, and uh, Rich Passaccia and, and it's two good coaches going against each other, and they're very physical. They're big. They're physical on special teams, and we've got to be able to meet that challenge. All right, back home for the first time in three weeks. What are the final factors in pulling out a win, Coach? Yeah, I think, again, it comes down to what we talked about earlier. I think we've got to take care of the ball. I think if we can take the ball away from them, that'll help. And if we can take care of it and have 100% ball security, that's going to help our football team. And then stay away from – you know, the, the pre-snap penalties play a clean game. I think we got a good chance to win the game. But if we start getting into a turnover game, that's not going to be good for us. So we've got to play a clean game. And I think if we do that, we'll have a good chance to win. All right, Coach, good luck. Thank you. Now, you heard Coach right there refer to Josh Jacobs, the rookie running back from Alabama for the Oakland Raiders last week, 124 yards. But he did leave the game at some point and came back in dealing with a shoulder injury. On the first play, I think it was the first carry of the game, he ran over Adrian Amos, and I mean ran him flat over, and that created some issues for his shoulder. He went in, as John Gruden said, he got a shot, he came back out. Gruden said earlier this week that he would make him questionable, and that he would be questionable, and he is. So, let's get to our next hot read, and figure out who else is out, questionable, doubtful for this one against the Oakland Raiders. Now, the Raiders, as... As it were, I guess as healthy as they've been all year. I've been kind of following the the Raiders. From, and I do that for all AFC teams, but especially the ones we're going to play. And I follow a bunch of them on Twitter. But they've been talking all week, hey, is there a possibility that we could have the five guys up front that we expected to have from left to right? Colton Miller, Richie Incognito, Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson, and Trent Brown. Could they have all those guys for the first time all year. It's an offensive line that has not, those five have not been together yet. They've had three games where they've given up no sacks. 
and they've only given up eight sacks all year. And Jacobs, last two weeks, has run for 123 and 124 yards, and they did not have the full line together as they expect. I would expect that to be the case, that they will have that line. The only offensive lineman that is listed as questionable, out, or doubtful is Trent Brown. He did not play last week against the Green Bay Packers. But Trent is listed as questionable, but trending in the right direction. He did not. He practiced on a limited basis on Wednesday, limited basis on Thursday. He practiced in full on Friday, and that's typically the sign that, yes, he will be back. So it looks like the big free agent pickup for the Raiders will be back at right tackle. And if he is, as expected, then the Raiders line will be together for the first time all year that they have wanted. And I know the Raiders fans are just thrilled. I know Ra- Raiders writers are like, should be a fun day for Carr on Sunday. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. But that being said, the other big key is Josh Jacobs. Jacobs did not practice on Wednesday, did not practice on Thursday. He said after the game against the Packers dealing with his shoulder that he would, as long as it's not broke, he was going to play. Those are his words. If it ain't broke, I'm playing. He participated in practice on a limited basis on Friday. That makes him questionable. I will treat that going forward as he's going to play. He's going to play. Now, Is there a point at which it becomes ineffective for him to play with the shoulder? Because of his running style. His running style is just brutal. I mean, he runs so angry and so hard. Is that going to be an issue for him? He took a shot against Green Bay, as I said, and he came back into the game and then played the rest of the game. So it's a tough dude we're talking about. This is a guy that was actually homeless in high school in Tulsa and found his way to Alabama Played there for three years. Complete and total team player. Loves the game. I love Josh Jacobs. I just hate facing him on Sunday. Jacobs is questionable, but I will treat him as being in. I will will treat Trent Brown as being in as well, even though he's questionable. Terrell Williams is dealing with a foot injury, and he was back at practice on a limited basis. So he practiced limited and was limited all week long. So Raiders, those three questionable. Jacobs, Williams, Brown. I expect, actually, all three of them to play. Now, for your Texans, Will Fuller, Titus Howard, Greg Mance, those three ruled as out. Out. Questionable. Tashawn Gibson, Roderick Johnson, Jonathan Joseph, Bradley Roby. Now, last week, Robe was listed as questionable, and then on the flight to Indianapolis, he was ruled out. I don't know if that's the case. It's kind of been my gut all along. We'll find out on Sunday, obviously. But Fuller, Howard, Mance, out. Gibson, Roderick Johnson, Jonathan Joseph, Bradley Roby. Those all questionable. Yikes. That's Let's just say that all those guys are out. Let's just, just let's say they are. Fuller, starting receiver. Titus Howard, starting right tackle. Sean Gibson, starting safety. Rod Johnson, the backup tackle and swing tackle. Jonathan Joseph, Bradley Roby, both started corners. You're talking about some firepower loss. Then you look at the Raiders' side and go, if Jacobs, Williams, and Brown play, and I would expect them to, that's as healthy as the Raiders could possibly be. So, you know, a tough injury situation going for you 
on Sunday against the Raiders. But can't cry in, can't cry in your milk. Now, one other limited participant to keep an eye on, Gary Conley was not injury-related, uh, participated on a limited basis today at practice uh, for your Texans. So, uh, hopefully, Gary Conley is going to be a guy that we see at some point. I don't know how much we'll see him on Sunday. It sort of depends on how many bodies they have that can play at corner. Last week, they were, I think, down to their very last, I think their very last corner body in Xavier Crawford. And he had to go out on the field when Keon Crossing got hurt. You had Philip Gaines, Lonnie Johnson, and Xavier Crawford out on the field. And I believe those were the, the last corners you had available to you. So they all played. So his availability, he's not listed as questionable or out. He's on the 53-man roster, so I'd expect to see him. But that is one we'll keep an eye on. Of course, we'd like to see him play. He's new to the Texans. You're excited about seeing him play. But Gary Ann Conley was a limited participant in practice today. But he is not listed as out or questionable. So, like I said, tough situation for the Texans dealing with injuries. The Raiders had a bye week two weeks ago. So they seem to get healthier over the bye week, and they're going to be as healthy as they could possibly be heading into this one. So time to roll, time to go. So there you go, a little bit of Bill Bryan, and, of course, what's going on with the injury report. And those are your hot reads presented to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Okay, coming up next, we're going to go with our Deep Slant interview of the week. And this week, it is that left left tackle who has turned into one heck of a tight end for your Texans. Darren Fells with DP City on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter and former math teacher. I bring that up because I am calling all my fellow Houston area teachers. You want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Let's sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by Phillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders Learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toros Math Drills to learn more. Now, a few people that I know would agree with that sentiment. A couple of my engineering brethren, at least engineering degree brethren. Justin Reed, Stanford University. Also, my good friend D.P. Sidhu from Purdue University. And now it's time for our Deep Slant interview of the week with D.P. Sidhu. This week, it is with Darren Fells. DP, take it away. It's a Deep Slant one-on-one presented by Xfinity. Our guest this week, Darren Fells. Darren, talk to me about the season you're having so far. You've already exceeded your single season high in touchdowns, and that was just in five weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always been a team player, so my biggest focus is trying to get the win. Um, and they've my role this year has been a little bit different than I've been used to. I've been Every team I've been on, I've been a blocking tight end. And so they brought me in, and they wanted me to run a couple routes here and there. And I'm like, whatever you guys need me to do, I'm going to do it to try to get this win. I actually asked offensive coordinator Tim Kelly about this. I said, you brought Darren Phils to be a blocking tight end. That was sort of your vision for him. Mm-hmm. Has he exceeded your expectations with everything that you're able to do with the, in the receiving game? And they said, no, because with your athleticism and the back, basketball background, mm-hmm. that's sort of how they hoped that you had played out. But how about for yourself? Are you having more fun here than you've ever had? Is it... I would imagine it's a lot of fun to be on the receiving end. Oh, no, it, it definitely is a lot of fun because it's just one of those things. It's not, it makes me 
I'm no longer one-dimensional. I mean, I've always hated to be one-dimensional, one even with uh, playing basketball. I didn't want to just do one thing. I've always wanted to be like the LeBron type of player. So being able to go out there and I'm not trying to say I'm the LeBron of the football field, but I'm um, being able to just do a lot more out there. It's a lot, fun, a lot more fun. Yeah. You mentioned basketball, and I don't know if you remember this, but in training camp I'd asked you about touchdown celebrations. And you had not thought about it, and then during one of your touchdown celebrations, you did like this Euro basketball Euro move. Stab, yeah. And I felt like, <laughs> did I get in your head? Were you thinking about that? Were you? It was like a, it was a nod to your basketball playing days, wasn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I, I've told the guys that from now on, I'll, I'll do a little basketball thing because that's my I background. Like it. Yeah, I like um, it. but it was. They gave me a lot of. Uh, fuss with uh, my first touchdown I had. They're like, no, no celebration. You just dropped the ball and just didn't, so boring, didn't do anything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So like, you need to give us something else next time. So, okay. Everything related is, is going to be basketball. Well, you know, <laughs> if there's one thing that I've heard about you over and over again from both Bill O'Brien and from Tim Kelly and anyone else that we've asked about you is that you're just such a professional. You sort of came in here. You're a veteran of the group. Your professionalism, did that sort of come from the fact that you did play basketball and then you started football, like your start in the NFL was much later than say most yeah. rookies. Yeah. Or is that just your personality? Because I, I kind of sense that it could uh, be either with you. I feel like it's a little bit of both. Uh, I've always been like a hard hat player ever since college. Um, I've never been one of those guys that feels privileged to be there or whatever. I've always want, needed to work for everything I've gotten. I feel that no matter how far I get and how many years I play, I feel like I'm always gonna have to do that. Um, and so, and then also being a 26-year-old rookie, it definitely helped. You're a little, a little bit little more, more mature, mature, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was already going in the league, had my fiance and everything, and it was just one of those things. My my roots were grounded. I was already grounded coming in the NFL, so I didn't have any outside problems here or there. So I just can focus on football and try to get myself better. You were such a good football player in high school. Why did you decide to go the basketball route in college? Why didn't you stick with football? Um, I actually wanted to do both. Uh, but my main focus was basketball at the time. So I would ask scouts, like, is it possible for me to do both, but focus on basketball and football? But not really, not very many college coaches want their basketball players going on the football field. DeAndre Hopkins is one of them. He was playing yeah. basketball for Clemson. That didn't last very yeah, long. Exactly. They made him pick one very quickly. Exactly. So it was one of those things that a lot of coaches knew that I'd have to focus on one. And coming out of high school, basketball was my first love. And so I, that's the path I ended up taking. So when basketball didn't pan out, was it hard to get reacclimated back to the NFL because you hadn't played it in a while? Yeah. How did you so quickly get back? I mean, it's hard for guys that have played football in college to get into the NFL. Yeah. And here you are spending all these years playing basketball. Um, I wouldn't say so quickly. It, it took me, I would say, about three, four years to actually feel extremely comfortable out there. Um, the hardest thing was just learning the language. Um, I remember my first meeting, I went in, uh, the coaches were talking, like, yeah, so when we make him the mic, you know, make sure that the Sam and Star here, but I'm like, I'm looking at guys like, what number is Mike? Like, who is Mike? <laughs> it was just one of those things, like, I had to learn the language before I can actually learn the playbook, and then once I learned the playbook, then it was like, am I even running the routes properly? It was just all these little things here and there. I, was, I did not know what I was doing out there at all. So was it easier to be a blocking tight end rather than a receiving tight end? Is that why you were sort of... That was your role, or is it just because of physically it was um, easier for you? It was one of those things that I knew I wasn't the most athletic guy on the team. Like most guys coming out of college, they were the faster guys. They can run routes crisp because that's what they did all for four years in college. And so I knew there's no way for me to make the team and be a receiving tight end, even though my basketball background was sure. every coach was looking at, okay, he's going to be the next Jimmy Graham or Tony Gonzalez type of thing. And it was like 
I knew I didn't have that that extreme athleticism like they did, so I was trying to figure out what was my next what 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 can I pick up to be a dominant guy in the league or something that other guys can't really do that I can learn and build on and talking with a bunch of coaches and talking with a bunch of players they're like with my length you can be an excellent blocking tight end and so I just spent time on that hired a offensive line coach to teach me how all these little things here and there and yeah, the rest is history. Did you watch any particular tight ends to sort of model your style after, or is this just really um, the Darren Fells style? It, it was. It was more. I watched a bunch of like veterans, and I would always go after guys who were in the league longer, and they weren't like number one draft picks. They were some guys that I had to like work to get to where they are, and they found little nicks here and there that helped them out. And I would talk with them and ask them like what they did to stay in the league so long, or what little thing I'd even look at them at practice and see little things that help them in the run game or in the pass game when they're blocking and I just stole a little, little from here and there from a bunch of different guys and try to figure out yeah. your your chemistry with Deshaun this year is so good you haven't been here that long yeah. what sort of things have you done with him to sort of build that chemistry I know he's worked with the tight ends and the wide receivers mm-hmm. but why this year why is this the year that you think you've done so well in the receiving game or did was it sort of um, building throughout your career I, I think it, it's more the chemistry comes with trust. Um, I've been running right. I, I think it's one of those things he knows where I'm going to be, and I know where he's going to put the ball. It's when he throws it to me, he knows I'm going to come down with it. Um, it. It's just one of those things. Like I, if it's not right, I'll go and talk to him, and we'll figure it out together, and then we'll go and do the play over again, and we'll get it right. And so it's one of those, like I said, it's just building that trust and of knowing what I'm going to do and what he's going to do. I have to say, whenever I'm out and about and people come up to me, the one thing that I get asked, and this is 100% the truth, they say, that Darren Fells is something else. He should get the ball more. <laughs> people are so impressed with what you're able to do in the receiving game that they just can't seem to get enough of you. And I just thought that maybe you and Deshaun are probably doing something on the side to sort of build that chemistry. I actually asked him if you two had played basketball together. He said no. <laughs> I was like, what are you two doing on the side to build your chemistry? But he said you do watch highlights with he has watched basketball highlights with you. Yeah, uh, a few times, yeah. <laughs> you trying to give him pointers in the basketball game? Or uh, that... He hasn't asked me any, any pointers <laughs> in basketball yet, but if he, if he wants to learn how to get a nice little jump shot, I'll teach him. <laughs> um, you've played basketball internationally, and now the Texans are going to London for the first time. Yeah. So how exciting is that for you? And I've been asked to ask you your advice for jet lag, beating the jet lag. So I've heard two different things about that because we're not going to be there so long it's all it might be impossible to beat the jet lag because um, when I was over there obviously I was there for 10 months out of the year playing basketball so you were well adjusted so yeah, I, right? I ended up getting adjusted but they said the quickest way to get adjusted to that time difference is obviously sleep but you have to um, be there the amount of time the uh, time difference like the hours so if it's like six hours ahead you have to be there for six days Oh. Fully get adjusted. Yeah, that's, okay. that's, that's what I was told. I don't know how true that is. But I felt like I was able to adjust faster once I got. So it takes that amount, of, yes. that many number of days, yeah. like an, a day, an hour per day, is what you're gonna act, how you're gonna acclimate yes, your yes. acclimation rate. Yes. That's a nice little formula you just yeah. came up with. So, and we're only gonna be there for what, four days, so you don't really have the time to really adjust. But I've heard the the sooner you get there, the harder it is to adjust. If that makes sense. Because you're there for, you're kind of in the middle of it once the game yeah. comes about. Yeah. So it's so better. You, it's, it's better to leave later and get there so you, your body doesn't really get used to that time difference so you can just go out there and. And just play and then come back. Play, I feel yeah. like the Jaguars did this because they used mm-hmm. to go early, early on, they used to go like Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. And then with each year, they sort of learned that 
That's, go yeah. Friday, mm -hmm. just rip off the Band-Aid, play, and then come right back, yeah. and you're you're not yeah. really off your schedule too much. When you played internationally, did you play in England a lot? What do you remember about playing um, in London? I did not play in London at You all. didn't play much? No, I, I played in uh, Belgium, in Europe. I played in Belgium, Finland, and France. What was so, the craziest rivalry that you saw over um, there? Because we don't know much about international yeah. There's basketball. not extreme rivalries. It's more... If a team won the championship the year before, every team was that rival because they wanted to beat that champion team. Um, basketball was big, but it wasn't anywhere near like NBA, I would say. Sure. Yeah, and so it, it, it was a lot of fun because obviously the schedules are not as strenuous as the NBA is. You have more time off. You can actually go and explore the city. So being in Belgium was more of a cultural, like being able to be out there and experience the culture and have fun like that. And that was pretty awesome. How about for you now? You said that early on in your career you spent a lot of time with offensive line coaches. Who do you spend mm -hmm. a lot of time with? Because you're asked to do so much in this offense. Do you spend time with offensive the linemen, team. the wide receivers? I mean, where? Um, I mean, we, we you don't. You sort of fit in a little bit everywhere. Yeah, we don't get a lot of time during the week to be able to sit down with a guy and uh, experience so it's more outside that we can. Uh, really do your bonding. Yeah. yeah. Um, having two kids in my life now, it's a little bit harder to like, you mean yeah. you don't have all this free time? <laughs> what are you talking yeah, about? Zero, zero I totally free time. Understand. The minute I get home, my daughter and son are in my face, and I'm I'm having fun with them. Do they know what you do? Do they know that you play football? They do. Are they at that age yet, or not? Really? They do, but they don't. They understand, like when they see football, they understand that's what daddy does. But I don't think they truly understand that. Oh, it's NFL. It's football. Uh, my daughter, my daughter's to the point where like she she knows the text and she'll do the text and signs. And my son, anytime he sees football on TV, daddy, daddy. Even if I'm not even playing it, that's just daddy. <laughs> All right, great stuff. Can't wait yeah. to see what the rest of the season holds for you. Oh, thank you. All right, thanks so much, Darren Fells. Always love the Deep Slant interview of the week presented by Xfinity, and a big fan, big big fan of Darren Fells. He does an excellent job. Okay, when we get back. It's time for our first community credit union first glance keys to the game. How are the Texans going to win this football game on Sunday against the Oakland Raiders? We'll have that for you next, right here on Texans All Access. Happy Friday, everybody. Hopefully it is nice and cool wherever you are. I know it's probably in the mid-50s about right now, maybe lower 50s. Have been outside for a while, but I know it was a little bit chillier today. But hopefully the weather is nice, and this weekend is supposed to be beautiful so you can enjoy Sunday's game. Now keep in mind, Sunday's game has been moved to 325. Move to 325. So, a couple of things. A, sleep a little longer. B, tailgate a little longer. Uh, C, take a little bit longer to get in the uh, stadium seats. But, be there by 325. Be that voice in Derek Carr's head that makes things extremely difficult to handle. So, you can do all of that. So, 325 kick on Sunday. Kind of weird. In fact, the next... Next three, actually, this game, th these three games, Raiders, 325 kick, Thursday night Colts, Sunday night Patriots, before we get back to the last two being noon, at least as we know right now, noon games against the Broncos and the Titans. But you've got three different times over the next three home games. We'll handle this one because it's the only time that the Texans are at home in the next, roughly the next month. Next time they play at home will be November 21st. Because we'll be in London next Sunday. Then we get the bye week. Then we're in Baltimore the week after that for a huge one against the Ravens. But that one will not be a huge one unless we take care of business this weekend 
to start over the Oakland Raiders. Now, let's get to our first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game. I do this each and every week, and I dive into what I think are the major keys on both sides of the ball. I, I rarely do special teams unless there's something that sort of stands out. I mean, special teams is every week it's kind of the same thing. No botch snaps, and with Weeksy, that's – that's pretty much not going. You're not going to get any botched snaps. I mean, the guy was on an ankle he could barely walk on last week at Indianapolis, and he nailed every snap perfectly. And then nail your field goals, and extra points. Kaimi was perfect, three for three field goals, two for two extra points. He was perfect in that department. And then punting wise, hit rockets. And Brian Anger did that. Go down to cover and make tackles out in space. Cover teams did that. So special teams is pretty much the same. I don't know if there's anything in particular in special teams this week. Trevor Davis running back, uh, punch of kicks for the Raiders. That can be problematic. He is very explosive, and he was with the Packers earlier this year. Got traded, made a big play in the Colts game on offense, but he can be a dynamo on special teams. But special teams straightforward. Make your tackles in space, no bad snaps, operation clean, and make sure that it – look, if you block one, great. But th- that's that's kind of gravy. Um, it's really more about the keys on offense and defense. So let's start this week – with the Texans' defense stopping the Raiders' offense. And we'll start with key number one. The Texans' defensive interior. Guys like Angelo Blackson, DJ Reader, DJ Dunney, Brandon Dunn. Those guys inside. Charles who he goes inside. But Charles has really kind of become the third down specialist, if you will. If he plays on base downs, he a lot of times pops out wide. He'll play a five technique or even the three four defensive. End. That's what I mean, five technique. But he'll play like a four three defensive end, playing like a wide five or even playing a, a seven or nine technique. Now, the defensive interior guys, Dunny, Blackson, Reader in particular, JJ when he bumps inside, they must win from guard to guard. Incognito at left guard, Hudson at center, and Gabe Jackson at right guard. They're as good a guard center guard trio as you're going to find in the league. They're nasty. They're physical. They want to hit you right in the mouth. They can run zone. They can run power. And they will knock you off the ball. And if the Texans' interior is getting knocked off the ball, then it could be a long day. Josh Jacobs has been exceptional the last two weeks in large part because that trio inside is really, really good. Now, Trent Brown didn't play last week, and he's huge. He's enormous. Colton Miller, I think, is still a a problem for the Raiders at left tackle. For the Raiders, not for the Texans. He still struggles, misses blocks, but he'll want to mix it up. In the run game, he'll want to mix it up. But to me, it's about the interior. Those guys in the interior are very, very difficult to handle. This defensive interior of the Texans got to handle it, which leads me to key two. Because if they don't, that man I just mentioned, Josh Jacobs, is going to be a nightmare. This running game for the Raiders can get going. Whether it is Jacobs or Rich Richard or Washington in the backfield, they can pound. The last two weeks, Jacobs has had 123 and 124 yards on the ground. Now, he is dealing with a shoulder injury, but I expect to see number 28 in the lineup and running hard against the Texans. They've got to be ready. So the defensive interior's got to dominate. Linebacker's got to be free to run the ball, and they got to gang tackle Jacobs because one guy is not going to bring him down. Number three. Be ready, be quick. What I mean by that is Derek Carr's going to throw the ball now. Catch it, throw it. So there are going to be a couple things that, that Carr's going to do. He's going to 
Three-step quick game, ball's coming out hot. Speed outs, quick out, I mean, whatever, anything fast. Slants, speed outs, quick throws. Or he's going to boot out, or he's going to roll out, just sprint out. So if he's staying in the pocket, it's a lot of times a three. It's a three-step quick game. Anticipate that, defensive backs. Anticipate that. Pick one off. If you're playing off coverage, show him off coverage and bait him into that, hey, here comes the speed out, and then anticipate it and go jump it and take it to the house. Make a big play defensively by being ready and being quick. If you're going to play off, then anticipate the quick throw. Now, for sure, come up and make a tackle. But be ready for when he's under center because it's three-step quick game. He wants the ball out of his hands now. So anticipate that. Now, don't be dumb. Don't be risky. But take a calculated chance. Number four, what is Waller? Waller, who is Waller, is Darren Waller. What he is ends up determining how you're going to try and cover the Raiders. Because Waller is a tight end by position labeling. But he's not really a tight end. He's what the Texans would call an F tight end. He's a receiver in a tight end's body. They use him in a lot of different places. When he's unattached, he's got to be treated like a receiver. He leads the Raiders in receiving with 47. And the next closest receiver, I think, has 17 catches. What is Waller? You've got to figure out how to cover him. Now, I I think there's a myriad guys that could cover him. But when he's out wide, he's got to be treated like a wide receiver. Which means Lonnie Johnson will probably get that. Lonnie had a lot of Eric Ebron. He had a lot of Travis Kelsey. I'd imagine that Lonnie will end up getting a lot of Darren Waller because Lonnie's the one guy that can match up size-wise. Now, Waller's 6'5", 6'6", and about 240. And, you know, look, you're not going to find DBs that size. But Lonnie's as big as you're going to get from a corner perspective. So Lonnie's probably going to get that in man coverage. But what you have to figure out is when he's attached to the line, how do you attack him? Number 83, Darren Waller. It's a, it's a good matchup in some sense. It's a bad matchup on the other hand because they got three tight ends that really can hurt you. Derek Carrier, Foster Moreau, and then Waller. And they're all different. Moreau's more the inline Y. Carrier is kind of the combination. He's a U tight end. And then the deaf tight end is Waller, and he moves all over the place. He is a tough matchup. So trying to figure out what to do with him is very, very important. And last and certainly not least, now this is a key that you would have probably all every week, right? Win on third down. That seems obvious. Yeah, win on third down. But here's the thing. The Raiders are exceptional on third down. They're converting at a 50% clip. That's second in the entire NFL. So they do a great job on first and second down to get to third and manageable. They get to third and five, third and six, third and seven even. And they're able to convert. I guess the Bears had a couple of third ones, third twos, and they just pounded the rock and got it. So they keep you off balance once they get to third medium or even third short. You're kind of off balance like, uh, let's try and match personnel, but that's going to be tough because, well, that's 22 personnel, but they could also throw it out of this. So they do a great job getting two third down in a manual situation, and then they're converting them at a 50% clip. That's got to be 30% or less this weekend facing the Raiders offense. All right, let's get over to the Texans offense. The trade that was made this week with the Raiders eliminated Gary Ann Conley from the Raiders' defensive secondary. He is now a Texan. So that means the Raiders are going to put out there a number of inexperienced players. 
attack that side. Daryl Worley will play one side. I'm not I'm not completely convinced that Daryl Worley is the answer at one corner, but that's who's playing one corner. And Conley was the other. The other. So now Conley's out. Well, out. He's on the other sideline for the Texans. Whoever that other corner is, attack him. Now I would imagine that he's going to play some man coverage because the easiest thing I think for a rookie to do is just say, he's my guy, I'm going with him. Trying to figure out zone and reading, pattern matching and all that, I think it's really tough. So whoever that opposite corner is going to be, opposite of Worley, attack him. Double moves. They'll probably give him some help at times. But when he is one-on-one and then there's a post safety in the middle, attack that dude. Number two, find the right tempo early and often. Play fast, play efficiently, play clean. That would be my mantra every week. Play fast, play efficiently, play clean. The Texans got to their tempo in the second half of that game against the Colts, especially in the first drive of the second half, and it was magical. It was a minute 46 and five plays and went 75 yards. It was like boom, bang, doom, touchdown. Like, whoa. That's the way this team can play. Put the Raiders back on their heels. They've got a bunch of young, young guys. Now, young guys coming from college, they know how to adapt to the up-tempo offenses. They see them all the time in college. But doing it at this level is tough, trying to get the call. Who's giving me the call? We're not holding up. What's the call going to be? We're not staying in base. What are we doing? What are we doing? That's the kind of thing you got to take advantage of with the inexperience. Number three, the offensive line must handle pass protection just the five guys. Just the five guys up front. They've got to handle it. Why? Because you've got to get the tight ends back in the passing game. Last week, the tight ends had to stay involved in the pass protection a little bit because, obviously, Rod was new over at right tackle, so he wanted to give him some help. But they didn't get the tight ends involved as much in the passing game as needed because there were times that one or maybe even two, both Fells and Akins, had to stay in and help pass protect. Now, that paid off on one throw to Kenny Stills in that five-play touchdown drive because they left Akins and Fells in the block and that gave Deshaun time to throw. So if you got to do it, you got to do it. But I'd like to see the tight ends get back involved in the passing game. At home, they've really been a big factor. I mean, they've been a big factor all year. But last year, not as much. Only four catches and no touchdowns between Fells and Akins. Each had two against Indianapolis. That's got to change. Number four, the offensive line again. The Raiders up front. It's not the best group in the world. But it's stout and strong. P.J. Hall, formerly of Sam Houston State, whose Twitter handle, by the way, is P.J.J. Watt. Watt was the guy that he looked up to a lot. So it's going to be interesting to see the, those two on the same field on Sunday. And I know that because I covered Watt when, uh, excuse me, I covered Hall when he was playing at Sam Houston State. He's a he's a menace. He is strong. He's got a a backside the size of NRG Stadium, and he is quick. And he will knock centers and guards right straight into the backfield. I did tell Strader on this, and Jonathan Hankins can do the same thing because he is a he is a load. Now we faced him last year when he was with the Colts, so we kind of know what he's about. Or actually, two years ago with the Colts, so we know a little bit of what he's about. Hall is a different story. He is a powder keg, and they will explode into our interior guys. You cannot allow that penetration. You cannot allow penetration. So outside zones. Outside zone plays, those guards are going to have to be really good about getting a good hard shot on Hall and Hankins so they're not running upfield and creating problems for Nick Martin. That's what they did against the Colts. They created a lot of problems for Ryan Kelly because the guards weren't getting a good enough shot 
to give Kelly time to get over across on that on that defensive lineman. And then Kelly unfairly was getting knocked into the backfield by those strong dudes up front, P.J. Hall and Jonathan Hankins. And Maurice Hurst is quicker than he is strong, but he's a guy they bring in and they can play with those two. Josh Morrow's a defensive end. It kind of plays that way. So this interior has got to be able to eliminate the penetration due to the leverage and power of guys like P.J. Hall and Jonathan Hankins. And number five. Now, this one takes a little bit. It's almost like writing about it. I felt kind of bad writing about it because I don't know that I, I explained this perfectly in writing. But mix up your shotgun run looks. And here's what I mean. When you're in the shotgun, depending on where the back is, a lot of teams, and the Raiders really, this, they stood out to me doing this, watching them against the Bears in particular. Wherever the running back is, the Raiders would slant opposite. Because in a shotgun run game, the running back always goes across the quarterback to the other side, right? So essentially, the Raiders' front sort of cross-keys the back. They never will play straight up where the back is. They always go to where he's going to go. So they'll go opposite. So if Deshaun is in the shotgun and Carlos Hyde's on his left, the Raiders will slant to their left up front. And so that creates this big wall that then forces a cutback by the running back. And then what the linebackers do is they they wait. They just kind of play the cutback lanes. So they let the front move, and then they kind of stay where they are. They kind of fall back into the cutback lanes, and it really shuts it down. The Chargers did some of that against the Texans and really slowed the Texans' running game down that day. The Raiders do something similar, but they're even more aggressive about it. So there are some run game, there are some shotgun run things that they can do, the Texans can do, and I've seen some colleges do it. They run like same side counter, same side power. They'll do some different things that can take advantage of that. And the Texans need to be able to do that when they run out of shotgun. And obviously one of the things you can do, you can run speed option out of it. You can run same side power, same side uh, counters. You could do some of those things that where they're slant, they're gonna slant themselves right out of the play and you just down block pull a guy around, and now you're running against two linebackers. That's really where you like to be. So have some same-side-designed runs so they slant themselves right out of the play. But I guarantee you early on when the Texans run a zone play out of uh, the gun, the Raiders' defensive front will just sprint hard and slant hard that way, and it won't go for any gain. The adjustment's going to be for the Texans going back the other way where that back is, and that'll really – I think could spring a big play for the Texans if they're able to do that. So those are your first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game. I mean, John Harris, FCCU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. Coming up, Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans, joins me to talk about this one and everything else going on in the world of sports this weekend, including, oh boy, your Astros trying to get it right up the nation's capital. Talk about all that next right here. On Texans All Access. Welcome to our second hour of this Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John, and that is Mark. Mark, how you doing? I am doing so well, Johnny, because it's back to it. It feels like a while. I don't yeah. know. It's a week-to-week thing, as we all know, but I'm just so eager to see the Texans take the field again. I think that's how I get after a loss. Yeah. Want to get that taste um, out of the mouth and get back to the win column. I'm with you. I feel like from a from a baseball standpoint, that's one mm-hmm. of the good things about baseball. I struck out three times last night yeah, and did not look good, but I've got 24 hours to wipe it, and I'm playing again. Yep. 
and now I'm back into it. And sometimes that doesn't work, as we saw the other night. Yeah. Now, it did work for Alex Bregman because apparently he slept with his bat, mm-hmm. and I will admit I've done that before. So really? it works. Yes, it works. I had heard somebody had – I can't remember where I heard it. I was – I think I was in high school and I heard it worked for somebody. Like, ah, I slept in my bed. And I, the next night I had, I went two for four. So I was like, this must work. Must work. So, Alex Bregman, good job. The yeah. superstition in baseball. It's ridiculous. And I know it exists it's in other sports as well. Are you not that superstitious? I'm, you know, I say I'm not, but there are certain things I do before every game. Before every game, I do a certain vocal warm up yep. and I got to do it a certain way. And then if I don't do it that way, I got to redo it and mm-hmm. things like that. So, I guess, and it's not really superstition as much as it's routine, and you feel like you got to stick to your routine if you're going to perform a certain way. Because right. like what we do mm-hmm. is a bit of a performance, you know, yes. and you want to do it well. Right. I mean, people always ask me, uh, how, how was the game? Well, great that they won. I wanted to do a better broadcast. And sometimes right. we do a really good broadcast when they lose, and that doesn't feel so good, but no. at least you know you did a good broadcast right. because we have our own job to do no matter what. People were complimenting us after our Chiefs broadcast. Mm-hmm. Didn't get as many compliments after the Colts broadcast. Right. And I'm thinking, I thought the Colts broadcast was pretty darn solid, actually, as yep. a broadcast. But it's not going to be that way because, you know, people it's have it. a loss in their minds. And, you know, it's that kind of job. It's almost like a jazz musician. You're jamming every Sunday, mm-hmm. and you just have to kind of wipe it and go on to the next. It has felt this week, it's felt long. This has felt like a long week because I'm with you. I wanted them to get right back on the bump and let's just go. Let's like play a Thursday again. night game would have been good. It would have been good to just get rid of that whole thing that mm-hmm. happened last Sunday. And you know, you, you spend the week kind of listening to everybody talk about how great the Colts are. And you, I check my Twitter, and of course, I'm following all kinds of people from every NFL team, not just the Colts. But you read the Colts, the Colts. Look at this; they can make a bid to beat. And I'm like, oh, this yeah. drives me crazy. Because that's what they would have been saying about you know who. Yeah, I know. I had know. you won. Had, so. had, had we won, mm-hmm. had we found a way to do it up there. But now it just makes – basically the Colts held serve. So now it's our opportunity in four weeks. Can't get ahead of ourselves. But how about this? After we played that Falcons game, we were coming back for one game at Energy Stadium yep. before November 21st. Gosh, and this and is this it. This is it. This is it. It's a, it's a it. rare home game, and, boy, the Raiders can relate to this, although they have a much dip, more difficult situation because of not having a home, right. really. Oakland right. is so temporary for them now, and they played in London, which was a home game, but right. not really. We right. all know that. So they've been away from their stadium for five weeks, and Gruden's been very open about how he hates that. Yep. But, uh, all right, too bad, guys. And this is the last of those five. So I think they should just take the loss, move on, try to be better at home. <laughs> think so too that's kind of what i said it gets to be the fatigue sets in i i think back to back road trips i told you this on monday when we got back it's and we're not even playing but obviously we're doing the podcast but we're doing everything the team is but does take something out of you the back to back road trips yeah and and i don't I don't like to fly, so that adds to my stress. Ideally, it would so, be every other week, right. you know, because, like, when you're back-to-back at home, great. However, you know what's coming. You're yeah. going to have to go back-to-back on the road. Sometimes you're on the road right. three weeks in a row, which has happened at least twice in the history of the franchise that I can remember. Wow. Yeah. It happened once in the Kubiak era and I think once in the Bill O'Brien era. So I think you're right. Yeah. yeah I just can't remember. It happens from time to time where you're on the road for three weeks. And look, we had the brutal. schedule one year where 
it was road Monday night and then road again the next week, which was very yeah, rare, but that did happen to the Houston Texans. That has happened to the Texans in 14. It happened, played at Pittsburgh on a Monday night, turned around had to play at Tennessee. And we split those games. Okay. I actually should have won them both, really, because the, <laughs> the end of the first half of that Monday night game at Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, that brutal. was a deluge. That was, was brutal. You know, it's kind of, I mean, it wasn't as bad as what, or it was worse than what the Raiders went through last week, yeah. where they had a very close game about to take the lead. If Derek Carr can get the ball over the pylon, and then it goes in the other direction in avalanche fashion, thanks to Aaron Rodgers and company. Well, I think it's frustrating, and if I'm Gruden, I pull up that tape as I'm sitting with Derek Carr, and I look at him and say, hey, you remember doing this against the Dallas Cowboys? You did the same did exact before. thing uh-huh. two years ago on a Sunday night. You did the same exact thing, and Jeff Heath pushed him out right at the goal line, and he fumbled and went right back to the Cowboys, and it cost him a touchdown. It's like, did you not learn from the first time? Yeah. Yeah. Hello, McFly. See, you can fumble out of bounds all you want in the field, right. but once you get to the goal line, that is a bad deal. You do not get that one back. Well, here's the other thing, too. Derek Carr is right-handed. I believe so, yeah. And both times it's happened because of why? He his put the ball in his left hand. Because mm-hmm. yeah. he's reaching he's reaching to try well, and get I it mean, in. But, but certain guys could probably do that, like Deshaun Watson or Michael Vick or I, Lamar I Jackson or whatever. But you're just playing with fire. If that's your offhand, you're just playing yeah. with it. I yeah. mean, Deshaun's got hands that are bigger than this building, seemingly. Well, the other thing is, what about... Uh, you know, you you look at him doing that. It was first down or something like that. Second down. Second down. Second right, down. So yeah. live to fight another down. Go out at the one-inch line and then load up for third down and maybe go for it on fourth. And Jacobs had 124 yards rushing against the Packers. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just you got to think you got to think that through. I, I think just watching them in general, Mark, they are probably the most improved team I've seen from last year to this year. Raiders. Yes. Okay. They have an offensive line that has – Three games of zero sacks. You're not going to say the Browns, huh? No. No, because the way they became when they won seven games ultimately, you're right. They're they're not even there. They're not even close to that at that point. But I I just think the Raiders, offensive line, they have three games of zero sacks. Last week, that leads the league. They had a game against the Packers. The Packers came in with 18 sacks, averaging three a game. Last week against the Packers, they didn't give up a sack, a quarterback pressure, or a quarterback hit. Yikes. Well, you heard against the, the group that had 18 sacks through six games to that point. You, you heard the Bill O'Brien interview. I've been making a big deal about this high completion percentage right. for Derek Carr. And he said, you know, West Coast, and that's what mm-hmm. they do, and they're going to get completions. But you know, and he wasn't poo-pooing it. He right. was just saying this is the way they operate. Right. And the way they operate scares me, Johnny, because they run the ball well. And if you could slow that down, great, especially yeah. with the injury situation. So right. that'd be wonderful. The other thing is this: if they're able to complete these short passes, hey, what happened last week? Right. Now you've had a whole week to kind of get ready for this thing. Yep. And knowing what happened to you last week, the way the Colts attacked you, and the Raiders saw that tape too, and they want to do the same thing if they can possibly do it. Right. So let's just see what the chess match is here and who can respond. You know, I also threw out Bill O'Brien about practicing. You know, you had whoever shows up on Sunday at the starting line, that's one thing. But how was preparation with these guys right. as far as keeping everybody healthy, getting guys healthy, being able to practice with whoever you think might be able to play? I mean, that's got to be tough for this team right yeah. now. Johnny, I've been thinking about this. 
53-man roster, you dress 46, and how many guys are they holding on the 53 who are sort of on mini IR, if you will? Right. They're unable to practice, unable to play, but they're taking up spots on your 53 right. that could be practice spots. Mm-hmm. And you do have a 10-man practice squad. I get it. Right. However, you're running out of bodies here just to operate a really effective practice. There are probably guys in there running scout Right. That wouldn't normally be just so you can fill out the look team. Yep, you're exactly right because you're talking about Titus for a few weeks. Yep. Hopefully, Roby comes back at some point, but that's probably still a couple weeks off. Yeah. I think. Who knows? Yeah, you got those. And you got Will. You got Mance. You got Mance. So uh-huh. I mean, that's four guys right there uh-huh. that you're not. You're you're right. You're not able to practice now. How, how are you doing? To, uh, Logan Paulson just got released, right? But they signed Jarrell Adams Jarell to the Adams practice, practice squad. Because squad, so. you need a practice tight end. Heck yeah, you need a practice tight end because the tight ends, me outside of Josh Jacobs, I mean this offense for the Raiders, you know, it doesn't have a great group of wide receivers. The tight ends are really stinking good. Oh, Waller's on fire Waller's compared a, to the rest of the crew. Yeah, but he's doubled up everybody else. But. Mark my words, Foster Moreau is a very good wide mm. tight end. A guy that puts him there. Derek Carrier had a key catch against the Chicago Bears. They they can do a number of different things, and Gruden uses them. Right. Not not always in the passing game, but he uses them. There's a lot of 22 personnel, two backs, two tight ends on the field. And you're like, that's the eye formation? I haven't seen that since 2012. They do, you know, they use a fullback. They use Alec Ingold. Um, they've got two rookies in the backfield. Ingold's a rookie, uh, undrafted. Uh, out of Wisconsin, and then they've got Josh Jacobs, and they're running the ball really well. I, I just, I worry about this. But the flip side goes too: they haven't generated a ton of sacks. They don't get a ton of pass rush pressure, and hopefully the Texans will clean up what they had to clean up from last week and be ready to face a team that I think you said thirty or thirty or thirty first in the league, thirtieth yeah. or thirty first in the league in pass defense, and you can and you can tell. And not only that. Probably the best guy they had is now a Texan in Gary Ann Conley. So now they're going to be throwing a couple of young guys out there to see whether they're ready to sink or swim, and they're facing Kenny Stills and DeAndre Hopkins. So you would there. call Conley the best corner they had, maybe? I think so. I mean, Worley. Why are they trading him midseason for a third-round pick? I think they wanted to see what they had with young guys. Conley was not a Gruden slash Mayock pick. Okay. And yeah, I know that because so he was 2017, the year right. before they got there. So, so. That's, I think that's a I think that's a part of it. And Trayvon Mullen and Isaiah Johnson were they were Gruden slash Mayock. So picks. they want to play those guys. They'll take the pick. They love picks right now. They want to get ready for Vegas. I kind of understand all this. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with all this, right. but hey, if they want to fold up the rest of the season, which they don't, they definitely want to be competitive no, and no. contend for a playoff spot. I mean, if if they beat us. And then oh, the Packers beat Kansas City. Mm-hmm. That makes Kansas City five and three. Makes these jokers four and three. Look, They're I half would, game behind. I would love to see a, a stroll in the park blowout victory. You know that I would. I would too. However, I am fully anticipating another pressure cooker, nail biting, edge of your seat kind of game where in the yep. fourth quarter I am just, oh my gosh, please pull it out and. I think they can and will at home, but I, look, I'm out of the prediction business. I just think it's another <laughs> tight game for the Houston Texans. I don't like the fact that Vegas has us a seven point favorite. I just I don't I don't know. That makes me uncomfortable. That yeah. makes me uncomfortable against against this team. Well, you know why? Because the Texans have not been in that spot very yeah. often. Yeah. You know, it's and if you're going to be a good team or a really good team, you are going to be in that spot. Yeah. No doubt. Seven is that what it is? Seven. 
I mean, for entertainment purposes. I mean, this is the NFL in 2019, and this Raider team has beaten some good teams, and they just beat the team you lost to. Right. They, well, a few weeks ago, but they did do it. I know. They beat the Colts. Yeah. I, I'm still trying to figure out, and I've, I've watched that game. And here's the thing that worries me, Mark, is if the Raiders somehow stumble into a lead into the fourth quarter, right? they've got an opportunity to knock you out with a four-minute offense with Jacobs, with Ingle at fullback, and that offensive line. They got an opportunity to knock you out at that point. They're up six, seven minutes. You kind of stepping all over yourselves because you're just not offensively efficient the way you should be. If they got a lead in the fourth quarter, the Raiders do, it's going to be trouble. It's going to yep. be trouble with that run game, and that, that does that worries me because Incognito, Hudson, and Jackson are exceptional inside. I mean, they mm-hmm. play really – and they and they beat you up now – our guys are pretty darn good too on the inside. Don't don't get me wrong, but if they get a lead in the fourth quarter, I don't think it's it's not going to be easy well, to get the ball back it, and do something with it. You got to find a way to get off the field, and and like I said, the third down, mm-hmm. you know, high completion, high percentage plays that they can get to the tight end could really hurt you in that yep. instance. But you've been so good against the run. Uh, the Texans have just been so effective. Yeah, you're right. The Raiders too. I know each team has pass defense issues, but. Hey, this is the time to get it right. You're at home. You got to find a way. I mean, I, I'm not sure how they're going to shape that secondary. You know, we'll all look at it together yeah. on Sunday. I was about to say noon, 325 kick. I like the 325 kick. <laughs> do I you? really do. Yeah, I like. When's well, the last time we had a 325 I, kick? Because it hasn't been since I've been in the building. I couldn't remember. Wow, the really? Last at home? Never. I don't like it from a work standpoint. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but I like it because I, I think when you do what we do, noon is just so perfect. You wake right. up, you go, like, right. get it in. Let's let's get the game in, and we have all this post game coverage to do. Right. But from a fan perspective, this is awesome. You're tailgating, you know, the right time of day. Because look, ten o'clock in the morning is a tailgate. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I I love this for the fans, and I think it's great for the home field advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Three twenty five this week, a Thursday night game, and then a Sunday night game. Your next three are at. Odd non-noon times. Very odd. We'll get to that next week. Yeah, that's, that's, that's next week. Business at hand beat the Raiders. Mark, appreciate it. Thanks, Johnny. When I get back, it's time for all of my predictions. Mark said it earlier. It's just for discussion purposes, but I pick all games straight up and against the spread. We'll go around the NFL next right here on Texans All Access. All right, let's get right back to it on this Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris. Your host every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Also host a replay. You can check that show out 8 p.m. on our flagship Sports Radio 610. I'm assuming that's how you're listening tonight, so just keep it locked on this station. Here's Sean and Seth. You hear Landry and Lopez, which I love listening to all those guys. And then you hear Clint Stern in the afternoon. He's had Jeremy Branham on. He's had our buddy Wade Smith on. So keep it locked in at 6 on Sports Radio 610 where you can hear it all. Now, games... This weekend, I like to go around the NFL, and I like to do it my way, which is essentially predicting games. So it's really not a way to say, hey, I know more than anybody else. I just like to talk about the games, and I like to predict. It's kind of my way of competing, if you will, uh, sort of competing with myself, I guess. And I pick them straight up and against the spread. And I'm not advocating in any way, shape, or form that you follow my gambling advice and call 1-800-JOHN. H-A-R, and I'll give you all my best bets. Like, no, that's that, that that's what it guys like Stu Finer. Well, Stu Finer says, look, I got my three-team parlay, and I'm picking this week the Oakland Raiders to win by 38, so they're going to cover the seven-point spread. Like, no, that's not – I'm not doing that. That's not me. I just like talking about the games, and I think it's a good way to talk about it. Now, 
We're going to dive into the games, and the first one actually is a little different. But before we get there, I need my music. This one gets me hyped and through this segment, by the way. There it is. All right. I feel good because that's my NFL Films music. I got to have it. The first game's a little different. It has no point spread. It's the Seahawks going to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. So, why is there no point spread? Well, don't know the status of, at this point, Matt Ryan. And if it's not Matt Ryan, it's going to be Matt Schaub. So, there's no point spread in this one. I I was going to take the Seahawks either way. The Falcons have just been in a spiral. This is kind of the way the Falcons season And it shouldn't have been. I mean, they, first week, they go to Minnesota. They get pounded. Next week, they come on and beat the Eagles. You're like, ah, one and one. They haven't won a game since. Seahawks are going to go and rectify the situation from last week. Seahawks took the L at home against the Ravens. They're not facing Lamar Jackson. They're not facing a mobile quarterback either. Matt Ryan or Matt Schaub. So let's go Seahawks to win straight up. Don't know what the spread is, but I would probably take the Seahawks either way. My guess would be if it's Schaub, it's going to be Seahawks minus six at a minimum. Doesn't matter. I'll take the Seahawks to win by ten or more in this one in Atlanta. Yes, it's an East Coast body clock game for the Seahawks. I don't think it matters. I think the Seahawks bounce back, get the win. Eagles go to Buffalo. It's an interesting one because Buffalo's been playing very, very well, if you haven't been noticing. They're five and one. They came off a bye week and beat Miami by by 10. I told you exactly what was going to happen in that one. I got that one right last week. They were going to win, but not by 17. I don't know how the Bills could be favored by anybody by 17. But it was 24-21. Micah Hyde took the outside kick, ran it back. That gave him a 10-point victory. The Bills have played extremely well, especially at home. Even the game they lost, they held Tom Brady well in check. Now they got the Eagles coming. The Eagles are a complete total mess right now. Apparently, Alshon Jeffrey was the one that was talking trash about his quarterback and head coach, and that came out this week, and I'm sure that probably can't sit well in the locker room, and it's just all kinds of things going on with the Eagles, and I'm not sure that I like that. And then I thought the most ironic thing was Lane Johnson complaining, in some sense, that players weren't that focused on meetings. They were coming late to meetings, but after the Super Bowl, he said, well, yeah, the Patriots... Yeah, the, the Patriots do things their way, but we don't do it that way. We do it differently. Nobody would want to play for the Patriots. And he's whining and complaining about guys going to meetings. Well, well, there you go. I think the Bills win this one. Bills are favored by two. I think the Bills are going to win this. I don't think they win it big. This feels somewhere between four to seven. But I just think the Bills are feeling really good and should. That defense is outstanding. I think the Bills win this, go to six and one, and they cover that two-point spread. Chargers face the Bears. Oh, I don't know that I like this one at all. To be honest, on either side. Bears 3-3, three and three, Chargers 2-5. and five. Trubisky's a hot mess. The Chargers just can't find a way to win a game. Lost to us by 7. Lost at home to the Steelers by 7. Went on the road, lost by 3, fumbling the ball at the 1-yard line. The Chargers very easily could be 5-2. and two, But the Chargers 2-5. and five. I actually trust the Chargers a little bit more in this one because I don't think the Bears offensively can get it done. So I'm going to Chargers, even though they're on the road two weeks in a row, I'm going to Chargers to beat the Bears... The Bears are a three-and-a-half-point favorite, so I'm picking upset Chargers, and obviously covering that three-and-a-half, I'm picking them to win. Giants taking on the Lions. Detroit favored by six-and-a-half. You know, they had a touchdown and the extra point. I I don't know that I love the Lions this year. I didn't. I liked them a little bit in practice when I saw them here. I don't know. They've been up and down. They've been really good at times and then just uh, at times. 
But at home, I think they'll bounce back. I think they'll even up the record at 3-3-1. Giants will fall to 2-6. The Giants have gotten some of the offensive firepower back, but it hasn't clicked yet. I think the Lions will win this one. I don't really like the 6.5, though. So I'm going to go with the Lions to win the Giants to get inside of 6.5. Let's say it's under a touchdown. So let's go Lions to win, Giants to cover. Tampa Bay goes to Tennessee. Ooh, Tennessee's feeling good. They got a win last week against the L.A. Chargers. May have called them San Diego earlier. If I did, I apologize. And probably shouldn't have. It took Ryan Tannehill having an outstanding game. It took Jeffrey Simmons, the rookie, getting in the lineup to dominate. And they still almost lost with the Chargers, punching one in from the one-yard line, but Melvin Gordon fumbled. I don't think the Buccaneers are on par with the Chargers. I think Tennessee is going to get a win. In fact, I think the AFC South wins out this week, all four. So Titans get a win. They'll cover that two and a half. Broncos, Colts, I just said it. The Colts are favored by five. That feels really low. I don't think the Broncos, they just traded Emmanuel Sanders. They may not be done trading pieces. No Bradley Chubb because he's hurt. The offense was dreadful. I'm hoping the Broncos can pull the W, but they won't. The Colts will win, and they will shatter that five-point spread. They'll win by two touchdowns. Rams and Bengals. The Rams are only favored by 13. Only. They will win this one by 21-plus. There's nothing nothing even to really talk about. Rams, big, over the Bengals, and covering that 13-point spread. The Cardinals go to the Saints. One of the more surprising teams in the NFL right now, the Arizona Cardinals. Now, Take it with a grain of salt because the Cardinals wins in the tie. The tie came against the Lions. They've had wins over the Bengals. Uh, They got a win last week. Uh, I'm trying to remember who exactly they beat last week, and it escapes me at the time. They beat the Giants. I think they beat Giants last week. 3-3-1, though. They're a made field goal against the Lions away from being 4-3. Same record as the Texans, same record as the Rams. But the Saints are a whole different animal. Whole different animal. That defense... That Kyler Murray's going to see, salty. New Orleans favored by 10. I think they will win and cover that 10. I think it's a couple touchdowns. I think Kyler does keep it close, but there's no David Johnson. Chase Edmonds will be in the lineup, and he's played very, very well, so I don't think there's too much of a drop-off there, but I think Cardinals' defense won't be able to handle the Saints. The Saints will score a lot more than they scored in Jacksonville and probably on par with what they did against the Bears last week, so go Saints to win by more than 10. Jags are a six-and-a-half-point favorite against the Jets. I know a lot will be made about Sam Darnold, the ghosts, and all that kind of stuff, and I hate that for Sam. The Jets got run. The, they had the score run up on them by the Jags last year, and they remembered that. I don't think it'll matter. Jags win by six-and-a-half or more. Panthers, 49ers. This is going to be a whale of a ball game. Panthers coming off a bye. San Francisco coming off a uh, gritty, muddy, win over the Redskins. Didn't do a whole lot. Then again, it was a downpour all game. Out in San Francisco. San Francisco favored by 5.5. I like the Niners in this one. Although, I do think that the Panthers will play well. But Kyle Allen is probably going to see the best defense he's faced all year to this point. Let's go 49ers to win and win this thing by a touchdown. It'll be kind of back and forth, I think, for a while. But in the fourth quarter, I think the Niners turn Allen over one time. That'll be the difference. 49ers win. And win by more than five and a half. New England's taking on the Browns. New England's favored by 12. Josh Gordon sent to IR. Michael Bennett sent to the Cowboys. It still doesn't matter. The Patriots are going to win this, I think, by a couple touchdowns. I do think the Browns are as talented a team 
as the Patriots have faced, but I do not think it's going to matter. Patriots get the win. Patriots get the cover. Move to 8-0. and oh. Raiders and Texans, you know how I feel. The Texans are favored by 7. I hate being favored by that much. And the Raiders, especially a team like the Raiders, are 3-3. Three and three. I know the Raiders took one on the chin last week, but that was a close ball game, relatively speaking, probably up till halftime and a little bit after halftime. And then the Raiders just couldn't stop Aaron Rodgers. And hopefully that's going to be the way it is on Sunday as the Raiders struggled to stop Deshaun Watson. That would be kind of fun. But I never picked this one. I never pick a Texans game because I don't want to go against my heart and my head. So there you go. And I won on this one. I hope the Texans win. And I would pick the Texans. Sunday night game is all kinds of fun. The Chiefs are taking on the Packers. Now, normally the Packers would not be favored by three and a half if Patrick Mahomes were expected to play. I don't think he's going to play and I think that's going to be out if the Chiefs are smart and it's funny because I saw one of the Chiefs fan websites Arrowhead Pride put out a video and said Patrick looks good to me listen there's there's being able to do calisthenics and stretching and going out on a field and running away from pressure there's no way on God's green earth that Patrick Mahomes could do that now because not not just the knee but the ankle if they're smart, give that guy time to rehab the ankle, rehab the knee. But I know Patrick wants to get on the field. This is State Farm buddy right here, Aaron Rodgers. He's facing, and the game's an arrowhead. And the last time that Sunday night game was an arrowhead, the Chiefs got beat. I think it's going to be a Matt Moore joint, and I'm picking the upset. I'm picking the Chiefs no matter what. I'm picking the Chiefs to get the win over the Packers. Packers will fall to 6-2. and two. Chiefs will go to 6-2. and two. I'm picking the Chiefs in an upset. Now, I want the Packers to win. But I think there will be a little bit of an upset. I'm going against the grain on this one. But I'm taking the home team. I'm taking the resolve of the Chiefs to come back. They've had a little extra time to get bodies rested since the mini-buy and the win over Denver. Take the Chiefs to win. And then Monday night, do I even have to pick Monday night? I mean, I know I'll talk about it a little bit on Monday, but really? Dolphins at Steelers, 0-6 at 2-4. And And the 2-4 team is favored by 14. Uh, You pick that one yourself. I would pick Steelers to win, Steelers to cover. The Dolphins on the road for the second straight time. But, man, what a garbage Monday night game that is. My goodness. That's just that's, uh, awful. So there you go. Going around the NFL, there are my predictions. All right, final segment, as always, is our players segment. we got some B-Scar TV. We've got the final word with Drew Doherty. We've got all kinds of stuff next right here for you on Texans All Access. Keep it right here. 